You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Greetings, beloveds. This is Quantum Leap Book Club, and I am your host, Parisha, and my co-hosts with me this week are Marianne Love of Melbourne, Australia. We have Maria Jackis of Florida here in the United States. We have Trina Cooper, also of Colorado, around Denver there someplace. And then we have Ella who is in Sydney, Australia. So we have some people sitting around here and there around the world. Uh, distance only in mind only, right, ladies? Not in the, not in reality. So we're actually studying Lanza's book of centrism, okay, biocentrism. And in it, we're learning that we are a consciousness that is the living in the the particular afterlife as well as one being one of the same. And as we say that, again, as many of our beloveds begin to lift and definitely ascend from the physical existence, it's good to know and understand that scientists has now proven what our elders and our spiritual uh, sources have always taught us, that we are everlasting, and everlasting means we are forever conscious. So whether it be that we've lost a few uh, moments here and there in memory when we've moved into the physical plane of that particular space-time, or whether we are in the full consciousness of the hereafter, we are talking one and the same. And where Dr. Lanzas actually got into the biocentrism, which is what we'll be discussing, there are a number of other books that he's written that actually deals with the science of the afterlife. And for anyone that's already in their 60s and overs, or those of us who have gotten on the other side of long-term planning, you would want to know about that so that you're filling each day of what you have of life as fully as we probably should have already been doing that, even if we were 15, 16 years old or so. But right now, let's go into some of what he considers important information. Now, if you have the book, Okay, and you're going to follow us through chapter seven and eight today, right? Is it or eight or nine, ladies? Which is it that we're on? Uh, I think it's eight, nine. Eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, eight, nine. Well, possibly ten if we can get past the eight and nine. A lot of it in the book is actually diagrams that he's written to help you actually see experiments that have been run. What I've asked my co-host and I to do is to give you the interpretation of that so that we don't try to sit here and paint with words a glyph in your mind, but to actually give you the outcome of what his particular examples have shown. He deals with a lot of science. One of the things I've noticed with this, and I do have, I sit in forums of some of the highest level of scientists, and they all talk outside reality as far as I'm concerned, meaning they never boil what they're talking down to the point of whether it grows corn or what would, how will it 
do within our given day of time and space and matter, okay? And I see that Dr. Lanza's doing that within these particular chapters. He's dealing very much in depth with the technology. And uh, I feel at that point, it's just a matter of a lot of talk, okay? For you, our listeners, we want to try and digest this to a term and level to where you can understand how it's going to work and what it actually has effects in our life, the everydayness of that. So my co-hosts actually have taken to reviewing these chapters and making the most sense of it on the lay terms as we can. And I hope that if you have the book, that you truly are going into the diagrams and looking and following through with that. Meanwhile, we're going to take it up on ourselves to explain what that all means in everyday terms for you, okay? And so we're going to start today with you, Trina, actually allowing you to start with us and taking on Chapter 8. So can you give us a review on that? Sure. Chapter 8 is called The Most Amazing Experiment. And so, of course, we do have to touch on the experiment a bit in this. And the chapter definitely touches on the experiments and the variations thereof. So I would suggest people grab the book and take a look at it. But this chapter is really about quantum theory. And it's about this amazing double slit experiment that really changed the view of the universe from the scientific um, perspectives. So it starts out by saying that quantum theories become a catch-all phrase, that it's just something that people kind of throw about, but they really never learn the science of it. They really never understand what it's about. But it really deals with probabilities and the likely places that particles may appear and the likely actions they may take, their behavior. So when we talk about these, these are subatomic part particles, little bits of matter and the, or little bits of light. And it's been proven by these experiments that there is behavior there. And the behavior is being changed by these particles being observed, measured, or being even influenced by their twins, other particles. So some, some movies, and they gave the example of what the bleep, um, talk about time travel here. And he made the point of saying, just because particles may look like they have a retroactive effect on their twin, doesn't necessarily mean that humans are going to travel into the past at any time soon, at least. So let's just review the experiment really quick. So this double slit experiment had many, many variations, and they've been performed for over three quarters of a century. Um, and what is amazing is that the further they would get into doing this experiment, somebody would say, well, let's try it this way and let's see what happens. And let's try it this way and see what happens. So there's a lot of different ways that this experiment has been used over time. But it started with this very old question. Is light made of particles called photons, otherwise known as matter, or is it waves of energy? And, the, and Newton, Isaac Newton actually thought that they were all just solid particles. But in the end of the 18 hundreds, people started thinking that they were waves. And so this, they came up with this double slit experiment, which basically shoots these little photons toward a wall or some kind of um, a detector device in the back. And so you would think they just shoot straight. Well, they put a barrier in the middle between where they were shooting it and that detector screen, 
and they put two slits in it, thinking that it would go through one or go through the other. And what they found was if no one was paying attention, if no one was really focusing on it, the photon actually created a wave pattern. But if they tried to measure it, if they really thought about it, if they tried to predict it, then that photon would act more like a particle, more like a little teeny bullet. So what's important about this is really what did cause those photons to do what they were doing? What causes them, what, what quantum theory now says is that these exist in this kind of probability wave with all kinds of potential until there's an observer that actually observes them, in which time the photons actually collapse out of that probability wave into a particle. And they can be one or they can be the other, but they can never be both. So some of the results that came up out of these experiments is that um, an active measurement with devices can can drop these from the, um, can collapse them into a particle. When they split them in two, and the twins, as they call them, have the, the same amount of energy as the original, and they send them in two different wave, ways, if they do something to one twin, there's a reaction with the other. And sometimes they've found in these experiments that just the knowledge of the observer can cause it to become different, can it be, have it become a particle. So whichever way they looked at it, it either behaved as a wave or a particle, but it was important to recognize the fact that this weird action actually had definitely been determined by an observer. There was an, a definite effect by an observer. So it doesn't really matter how this these are set up. There's a little quote in there. It says, our mind and its knowledge or lack of it is the only thing that determines how these bits of light or matter behave. So what about space and time? What about the implications for us in our lives and creation in our lives? Because if an observer noticing this energy creates, collapses it into something real, into something that's tangible. What happens when we think about things? What happens when we focus on something? It also implies that consciousness must exist. So the content of the mind is the ultimate reality. Only an act of observation can confer shape and form to reality. And that brings us to the fourth principle that without consciousness, matter dwells in an undetermined state of probability. Any universe that could have preceded consciousness only existed in a probability state until there was an observer that observed it. So that is what I got out of chapter eight. Very, very good and very thorough. Again, Katrina, you do such a good job on your reviews. You really do. Very thorough. I like to take a, a little bit of time here to just talk from my perspective on a few of this. Like I said, in my day, especially over a month's period of time, I talked to some very, what I would consider involved scientists that are in the ongoing 
uh, experimenting and researching of what, what we are calling consciousness. You have Dr. Dispenza, which Joe Dispenza is not recognized as a scientist, but very much teaches what we would consider the quantum uh, mechanics and quantum theory. And we have many people who come onto the scene, as Dr. Lanza has, that will take issue with what Dr. Dispenza said. So basically, I, I kind of go in and fall back on uh, definitely Dr. Fred Allen Wolf in his particular perspective on what Lanza is saying here, that time past can be experienced and, be, and can be brought very much into the present. Uh, definitely, you have Fred Allen Wolf, who's done a thorough research of that in what's called yoga time. Okay. And actually, we have hypnosis where people have experienced past lives as well as very immediate uh, past experiences in the present physical body timeline. So I totally differ with him when he says that that's not something that is real or actually part of the quantum uh, practices and beliefs, as well as proofs, okay? There are many, many other scientists, not just a couple people I'm talking about that have validated in the many forums I sit in on that we have the ability to pull past, not only in, in what we would consider our cellular memories or vibrations, but to go back very much into what nature and time. I know that I have experienced myself in working with people who have taken certain hallucinogens to go into uh, the spiritual realm and find particular maybe purpose of their life and everything and watch them as well as picked up psychically on their journey. They go even before time, time before time, meaning before uh, human history, before we can actually talk about something even close to humanoid experience or body experience. So I differ very much with his particular take on that. And I recognize very much that he's walking into the field, definitely becoming a very strong presence in the physics of what we study called quantum. And because of that, he has a different perspective on it. Uh, I kind of felt protective of Joe Dispenza when I heard that he mentions what the bleep and reflected in that not being accurate, okay? This I find so common in the top scientists to where they constantly kind of whack at each other once in a while like that, and it's totally unnecessary because here's the point. Nobody knows all the answers yet. And for anyone to say this isn't and this is, is just kind of ridiculous. So at this point in time, I do differ with that. But in looking at what he's talking about as the twin effects, we all have experiences with twin effects, okay? Especially if you feel inclined to believe that whatever your physical life is this time, the embodiment, the reincarnated physical body altar that you're working with. I would say more than likely, given the research and experimentation, that you would find that you have picked up somewhere along the line of a twin soul experience. I think people tend to call those soulmates and other things. I'm not really aware of all of the maybe the new age terminology or the spiritual terminology of those experiences, but I feel that they're far more common than what's being noted here. 
And in my own ability, knowing that I work with what I consider a collective called Buffalo Hearts, only because I lean more toward what the Native American or the indigenous concept of this would be. By saying Buffalo Hearts, the buffalo to us represents unconditional generosity and love, okay? Meaning without conditions, okay? So basically, for looking at that, there is a definite example of a pod experience, like a collective of beings in human form that are all functioning with a particular general purpose of likelihood and uh, or, or outcome, even the supporting of being able to pull upon each other's consciousness on different occasions. Um, Somewhere in the past, there was a, a definitely movie or something that people used that uh, I forget what it was called. Maybe some of you would remember it, but it was the actual movie existed on dealing with what science has found. And it was based on science facts and research, okay, that these people were of a collective pod and that they could actually pull upon each other's qualities and intelligence and abilities from time to time if they needed it. So there is a lot more for discussion here than I feel Dr. Lanza has opened up. I respect very much all the work this genius has done. And I don't try to say at this point or try to profess that I am more intelligent than he is. I just know that I have come upon a difference of opinion to what he's saying here, okay? So in looking at that, knowing that I myself function in my reality and knowing that I am in the twin category of what he's discussing and that I feel my co-hosts are part of that with me. So basically it is a common knowledge and understanding and is probably, like I said, far more uh, what happens in people having collective knowledge or identity with something other than what they feel they see as far as the incarnate experience of body-mind, okay? And so we're going to move on now and let uh, Maria actually get on to explaining to us also what she got out of Chapter 9. Maria? Okay, well, you know, this th that um, experiment is definitely a, a lot of technical information, and it's definitely very good to look at the, the pictures, but what what I got out of that chapter, and it's, you know, and, and I think, you know, for being, um, you know, mainstream persons delving into all of these topics, and, and it's not the first time that I've been exposed to this experiment. I think it takes a couple of times that you can get comfortable. What I got out of it, it is that no matter how they manipulated the, the, the experiment, they even put, you know, interference and plates you know, in the end, what they kept coming up with is that it was the observer that made the difference. So, you know, rather than getting lost in all the science, although the science is really important because it really shows exactly what is going on, what, I, what I'm really getting a very firm grasp of with this, you know, not just in this chapter and in, in, in all and in, in everything that he's been you know exploring in the book is that there is definitely something here with us being the observers and how we influence matter is what I got out of this chapter. Okay. So 
in in what how do you feel and what you got out of chapter nine what what does that what can you use of that what grows corn i'm looking at life very differently i'm looking at life from the perspective of i i have more control than i was ever obviously you know taught and learned in life about my participation in this universe that's what i'm getting is i'm i'm realizing just how much we are significant for the existence of reality okay and i and i hear that and and uh for all of my co-hosts and for our listeners okay trina uh maria marianne and eloe are all people who actually work in human development, meaning definitely Marianne and Maria are licensed therapists. Okay, Trina works very much in life coaching and stuff like that, as well as Eloway. And Eloway works in the natural order of nature in as much as she it would be what we would consider a, natu uh, a naturalist environmentalist, okay? And works with foresting and stuff. So all of my co-hosts are very much involved at much deeper levels than just everyday seeking of spiritual knowledge. And so, Maria, I bring it back to you as a therapist. How, if anything, can you use of this to now help take people to the next step? Because what we realize, those of us on this call, we realize that this was not something that was given in the educational process of our youth. Okay, this is not what young people are being taught today. When I hear people labeling millenniums, okay, and talking about how, you know, frivolous they are and how not responsible they're showing and how they don't want to really take life serious and all this and that, I, I feel a little anger about that. I get I get a little antsy. I don't know what to call it anger as much as I, I just don't feel comfortable with somebody doing that. Okay. Because at this point, who's responsible for the fact that they don't know whatever they're supposed to know? Okay. The educational system, I have fought the educational system of this world for as long as I have lived on this planet. Okay. And to try and get the educators or the systems that control education to actually begin to use some of this. I mean, mm. when you look at the, I, I go into schools, like my grandson is into college. Uh, definitely, LOA, you have two children in, in college. Okay, Maria, look at your children. What have they ever gotten of the books you're reading? How have they ever even been made aware, as common as we find it, of quantum physics? Okay. I mean, at this point, quantum physics is what, 15 years in public awareness, but it's not in the school books. It's not in the school books. Okay. I still have to help my grandson see and feed him information from resources that I've gathered because he's not getting that in, in school. Even business, looking at business in the sense of it being a community and a global effect. How many people are taught how to look at that? You know, who knows anything about the law of attractions and all these other things that we can just quib right out like it's, you know, part of talking about what's for dinner, okay? And so basically, and what I'm seeing that Lance is doing, okay, he's talking above that level as far as I'm concerned. 
I'd like to really hear, and I have, I've been picking up more and more and more, especially with people that I know who know of him and everything. I'd like to see these guys actually help and break it down to where our young people can actually say they understand like what you just said, Maria, you never were given this information. Even what you've studied and made that you are held to as a licensed therapy. You're not allowed to talk about some of this stuff to your patients. Okay. And it's common knowledge in the marketplace. You know what I'm saying? You and Marianne are limited to what you can actually give your patients of this. And so how do we begin to actually see, and I and I say this for the listeners, how do we begin to help this become part of the, the everyday education of our children? I talk to little preschoolers. I get more response from a preschooler than I do a college student. They're already there. You could talk to them out. They see it as their imaginal or whatever. What we're learning is the imaginal is where the reality is, okay? Yet our children, and I know I definitely most adults I know were taught that's imagination. That's not real, okay? Yet we're told to get to where the sciences can talk to us. We have to go into the imaginal. So mm -hmm. I these little preschoolers and I have them do meditation and I have them close their eyes and answer questions and make up stories to the question. Tell, you know, make a story about this question and give me your, your idea, your answer. And I'm blown away with what they come back with and the story they tell. And it's like, they haven't even opened a cracked one of these books yet. They're talking on Lanza's level and all these other people. They come, they come with it. So it's like for now how we're looking at what's happening in our world, not just on North America, but all over this planet. I mean, the the same cry for help coming in to me is like I'm I'm still standing in America looking at what we're facing. It's all over the world. It's all over the world. There's a planetary consciousness that's changing. There's a planetary force that's trying to move us back into having no control and being idiots, okay? And so like now more than ever, we need this broken down to where people can say they now have the recipe of what it takes to change what is being really done and what we're suffering. When I see homeless people, I don't know where to go or call the feeling that I have. That in the streets of countries as wealthy as this country, I have a soul out there that is hungry, dirty, and no place to sleep. I mean, I I have come to it. It's like, you know, I can't, I can't get past these people. I can't drive past this person. I can't leave that unnoticed. Yes, I can say that more than likely if I give them 10 or $20, they'll go get their wine or the whatever in order to tolerate and live such as that. But the quality of life and the gift of life that I know, I can only see can happen if we educate. So when I asked you as my co-host to break down what you're seeing here in the strongest scientific terms, Okay, if you're trying to impress another student or a student that's within the studies of physics or science, I'm I'm supporting that. I should hope that his books make it into that arena. Okay, but at the same time, where you and I are at, and where our listeners are asking and seeking, how can how can they take this 
and make a difference in the rest of what today is and tomorrow and the week ahead or the whatever. That's what I'm asking you as my co-host to do. Help help me make this education available. And you, my listeners, please help make this get into the educational systems. If you have any clout or any pressure, if you're part of a PTA or any parenting group, you want to tell them you want your children to have access to this. Why aren't our teachers taught this? This, this is where it has to go. This is where the biggest change and where the actual outcome of consciousness is going to happen. When the teachers can teach our children what you and I take so for granted in our everydayness. Where is it? How will we ever get them? As a grandmother of 82, I worry that my children will not know what I know, that they will be lost in a system that just drinks life out of them. So we want to make sure that we're explaining this to where our listeners can take this the next step. You listeners, please hear me. I appeal to you to take what we're talking about and talk about it to somebody else. It's like that quarter to pass it on because it's only in you and I and our persistence and that persistence making this available and wanting someone else to understand again where we're at with this. Living it is one thing. Yes, 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 please live it. You deserve happiness. But making sure you share what the information of that is is even more important. Okay, and let's go on with that. I get, as you can tell, I get kind of passionate here with this kind of stuff, so you'll have to forgive me. My co-hosts love me, so they tolerate me. They surely do. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to go to Mary. Well, 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 first we'll go to Alloway. Well, you want to talk to us again about Chapter 9 and what you got out of it? Absolutely. Yep. Well, this this is um, yeah a little bit to add to what Trina did with Chapter 8. The key thing that stood out um, in terms of what we can use is the act of looking at an atom prevents it from changing. And now you can take that any way you like, but the example they gave is if there were enough people really focused on an atomic bomb, it wouldn't be able to go off. So that that act of observation, and then I thought about it in business because they also said um, to measure something removes the freedom of that thing to stay blurry, to stay in that field of could possibly be this, could probably be that, the thing that changed it from possibly probable to actual, which is what we're, we're talking about here. Um, is the measurement. So then I was thinking, well, what I can see it in business, what we measure in business, we know and grows. That's true. So what other parts of life would I measure? And what is measure? Measure is awareness. So what do, for all of us to know that just by the act of being aware of something, we're bringing it from a hazy it's a probability of this or a possibility of this to a probability of this to an actuality. So if we want an actuality in our life, we need to be aware and ideally aware and measure. That's what I really got from um, chapter eight. Okay, really, really good. All right, that's good. So basically... Again, where would you? Okay, every day you're out there in nature. You're do you're fighting the battle of making sure that you protect the mother and that you enhance our forest. And you're with the natural. 
part of our life, nature. Again, what would be your message? What would you say to Jade, your wonderful, handsome son of yours that's just turned 19? And what would you say with your beautiful Maya? What, how would you explain to them the good of what you just tried to tell us about? The really major part, and it came from you specifically this one, is finding beauty everywhere. Because when I'll be on a development site that is having trees cut down, is having things happen, I know that I can notice the soil profile has beautiful colours where the clay changes. And one might say, well, I didn't change the fact that there were trees removed there and, you know, for housing. Um, but I know that there's a difference made because I was aware of something and brought that beauty into a greater focus in that moment. So when when people ask you know, what can I go and study to care for the environment? Such a big part of it is sharing the beauty of what's there. And another analogy I sometimes can think of for people who watch movies like Peter Pan, there's a scene where Tinkerbell is fading away, like her molecules are going and she's getting translucent. And in the movie they say to her, um, what can we do to save you? And she said, if all the children, you know, would would say they – they believed in fairies or they really knew that fairies were real. And so then it shows all the children, we believe in fairies, we believe in fairies, and she regains her body. Now, while that might sound, you know, far-fetched in a movie, for me when I hear that it fits this quantum physics that we're being, we're being told about. There's this vagueness that's a potential there until we apply focus and awareness. And when a group applies focus and awareness, it's even more of an outcome. So when I work with environmental groups, it's not about let's call this area the, um, you know, the dam because someone wants to do a tailing dam. Let's call it the tailing dam site. It's like, no way. This is the site that you're trying to save. Why call it the tailings dam? Let's call it the masked owl site because that's what's really there, the threatened masked owl. So it's switching people around to speak and feel as they want it rather than the opposite. That's great. That's great. All right. Very, very good. Okay. I feel we're doing really good at actually having to try and relate a whole bunch of glyphs and drawings <laughs> into messages. <laughs> we're, making, we're, we're getting through to it. It's very, very good. Okay. So Marianne on chapter 10. Can you kind of sum up, and that's that's a lot. Can you give us at least the body of what you you got on chapter chapter ten? Chapter ten was really actually quite exciting to read, and I felt like it gave me this little like somebody's lifted a veil, and I got to peek behind it and see like the nature of reality, and then it closed down again, and I had to get my mind around what he's talking about with time, because basically what he's saying is time doesn't actually exist and it's actually only a measurement that people are using to make sense of reality so he spoke about I don't know if any of you have ever heard of like the arrow paradox it was something that coined about 2500 years ago but if you watch an arrow go across space and you freeze it in moments you're actually looking at instead of time you're looking at motion moments of this arrow in space and so he's got all these ways of describing actually through the whole chapter how time fundamentally is a perception and you could use anything to measure it. You could use like the moon, the sun, like 
they're fundamental measures rather than anything that actually exists. Um, and he actually says things like I thought was interesting. He spoke about entropy, which is decay, um, things changing their state, and that really the only place time is really relevant is looking at um, something changing its state from one state to another and losing its original organisation and pattern. And he's really saying we as humans want organisation, we want the patterns, and when we notice a pattern shift, then that's what we perceive then as lost time. Um, he talks about, I mean, probably a lot of a lot of listeners maybe has heard about um, how time can speed up or slow down just depending on how close to the speed of light you are. Like if you were watching a rocket go right into space, it would start to look like it slows down. I mean, it, it messes with your mind a little bit. Like if someone was on that rocket traveling close to the speed of light and came back 10 years later, our time for us would pass 70 years and for them it would only be 10 years. Like really like, you know, really think about that. So I guess like starting to think about how we as humans apply this, I think what it does is flips this idea that things are fixed, things are external to us. It's just all in a process. We're on a machine that we just have to keep going on and living in every day. No, we're, we can... Um, it's our perception. It's all our perception of reality. And therefore, we have a lot of say in perception. We have a lot of say in how we want this, this time we exchange for life to unfold. So I feel it just opens up in some ways more questions and answers, but also in other ways, so much possibility for all of us to liberate ourselves, to live the life we hope and dream and vision. I hear you, and that, that's true. And and I like how uh, out of all three chapters, again, it boils down to what, that it is the actual, that reality becomes whatever the observer observes it to be. And we, you know, that that's uncomfortable to most people who are saturated with the old school way of looking at things, okay? Uh, whilst we say God is our answer, we also blame everything on God. And and it, it becomes a habitual thread through everything. People who challenge us, they become they become our sore spot, you know. We blame them. Whatever whatever influence a person had on us that didn't quite come to be what we want, we make ourselves victim of theirs. Okay. And that still what what keeps coming back that is the thread through everything, whether I differ with it or not, it's still the same thread that we, as we observe, we influence the outcome, that it becomes that which we said, whether it be we make victims of ourselves, whether or not we're the winners, whether or not we're a consciousness that changes things as we think, you know, whatever it is. And we're uncomfortable. We don't have some place to put that, that in our weakness or our need to not be the all we tend to want to hide it in a corner or call it something else. And I feel that Dr. Lanza makes that very clear again in his research is every scientist that has a particular perspective, no matter how much they vary, and they do. I, I over the last maybe 40, 50 years, I've had the, the definite blessing of over 600 top scientists talking and listening and having direct forum activity with them. And they all have the difference. I mean, nobody is agreeing, okay? Everybody has a different little piece that they put on the whatever. 
So, like I said, in, in looking at time and where I disagree with we can't go back in the past, what we can't do is go back in the past and change it. That's true. In other words, it's done. It's gone. So whatever the need or a person makes the need of going back and observing a particular piece of that, whatever that is, okay, be it whatever effect it has, we still are the ones that makes the choice on what we observe. And without our observance, it doesn't matter, meaning matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, form, physical. And without it being matter, it isn't physical, and we don't have any way to say we have some more effective hold on it. We think that if we can hold something, if we can keep control of it or whatever, that it makes it more valid. No, the only thing that becomes valid of it is, again, what we observe it to be. If we're afraid, then it becomes real fear. If it's a blessing, then we're very grateful. But our observation and the importance of who we are as the observer and to know that that consciousness goes right into the spirit world with us. Once the body has its time space effect and goes on to then give away, then we call that death. The consciousness that we're using right now as working with this altar. See, in my language, in the Cherokee language, we don't have a word for, for body, altar, A-L-T-A-R. It is, it is the place where the macro and the micro part of life meets. So the all that is and that which is, is what we see the body as, okay? So it's an altar. And it's where things happen and where things go and where things come. And in that, it has always been made very clear to me, even with not having the same language, what scientists are now proving in every particular experiment and research they do, that it is us, that we are that which we are praying to, we are that which we are asking of, and we are that that we seek. And the sooner we begin to see the respond with ability of that, then we have a world that we can truly, truly desire to pass to the next time and to those coming in. So with that, I feel we've had a very good show with bringing these three chapters, which I definitely had concern about as I'm looking at it thinking, okay, so how do we actually pass along what the drawings are? And again, as my co-hosts have said to you, please get the book and look at them because they do have some real clarity to offer. And I feel that you, my co-host, I want to thank you very, very much because you've done a fantastic job of delivering what could become of those particular drawings. So let's sum up today's particular thing. So each one of you taking all three chapters, what did you each feel that you summed this particular show up on? What would you say, Katrina? Well, obviously that there is an observer effect. An observer creates this reality and that there's so many natural patterns. There's so many natural logarithms and frequencies and um, ways that the universe works and nature works here that I would encourage everybody to learn as much as you can and learn how you can play with this as the observer in creating the world that you want. 
I appreciate that. And Marianne, what would you say? Sum up three chapters. Well, given that nothing really exists until we observe it, including time, um, I think we can choose to observe what's passionately in our hearts. Um, we can think beyond what we've been taught in our systems and realize that this is the life we create, we paint the picture. So, and we can use these principles of science to really have free range. Very, very good. And Eloy, how will you sum it up? I think a key part is just the title of chapter nine. It's really all just right, the Goldilocks effect. And uh, I would I would sum it up by saying there is so much, I'll use the word perfection, but it doesn't mean, you know, it has to be a certain way. There is so much particular placement in this cosmos and particularly in the world around us, in gravity, in everything, and then particular placement in our own body, in our organs. So I would say these chapters are inviting us also to have those moments of marvelling at what is. As I said, this is a Goldilocks place. It's just right. And within that, just one sentence of something really stood out for me as well was that to make carbon, which is quite a heavy thing, stars expand and shrink and expand and shrink, and that makes these heavier molecules. But what they said is that it's a resonance, so basically a song, a vibration of the stars that results in carbon. So I was just looking at my notebook here and how I drew a star singing, making trees. So however you want to do it, as creative as you like, these chapters invite you to marvel in what is here physically and spiritually all around us. Wonderful, beautiful. And Maria, and how would you sum up these chapters? Yeah, you know, these chapters really, really stretched me. I, you know, I, I they really stretch you out of looking at, life and the universe from you know we've been taught that linear perspective that we were taught and just you know for me there is a lot of questions but they're good questions you know they just one question leads to the other and it's what I you know I think to sum it up for me what I've what I'm really grasping from this is everything and grandmother you have definitely worked with us very diligently with getting us to appreciate the magnificence of who we are and if anything the more science and the more everything you know all these books always document a lot of research that's been done obviously to back up their theories and he's backing up his concept of biocentrism here which is the observer creates the reality it's just you know, and it's very important to have that science and that research, but it's definitely getting in touch with the magnificence of who we are as individuals on this planet and in this universe. And I love what he said at the end of chapter nine, that he said, if this all sounds too far out there for you to consider, you know, kind of like the concepts, because they are, they're definitely challenging. Um, but then he said, consider what science asks us to believe, which is that the magnificence of this universe just popped into existence out of nothing. That's kind of my summary. And it's cool, isn't it? Isn't it cool? Yeah. 
actually around this. I mean, for you know, when people challenge me and say, you know, all oh, this is hug bug, whatever, blah, 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 you know, I just say to them, but just play with it for a while. Just ponder on it. Like, you know, like reading a novel, you don't have to take it real serious, but can you just ponder on it, you know what I mean, and see where it takes you and looking at it. And one of the wonderful things right from the beginning of this book, again, where they all start from and what I look for the little common ground in everybody and their differences and their contrast and the common ground that all the scientists that I've had the blessing to be with come back to saying, if you see it and you say it is that way, the only thing that makes that true or real is that it's you. It's you. So if we focus like like you all know, I say every every sunrise, you know, that in today I will seek and see 1,000 beautiful things. I look for beauty every day. Every breath I take, I am looking and searching and finding and confirming beauty. Beauty in a human face, a baby's laugh, a flower, the bee, the butterfly, even the little rodent that's moving along the pathway. The beauty of that is coming, it is me, comes out of me, what I observe. If you can just play with that, and instead of being negative or making sad of yourself or having scarcity or the whatever ever, ever we're suffering, the beauty of that, that that's me, all of that, that I can behold that sunset, those trees, even the rain, the lightning, the beautiful clouds, everything. That's me. That's you. That's what makes it real. And it's the only thing that's real about it. That works. When I say to you, sum it up, it's like, I have to think, okay, right now in the present time where I'm at and what, however our show is aired, where we're at right now is we're facing some very challenging things. It's at the southern borders of the United States of America, as well as the northern borders that branch here from Canada. We're looking at what is considered actual a very unsafe situation of over allowing and populating of our particular country and the particular health and sanitary means of trying to take on millions of people without adequate planning. And knowing that that's what I'm going to go to over the next two or three days, I will be on the front lines of that. In order to say that I live what I teach and what I've just said to you, I can't hide and stay home. I can't, I can't say it's okay that there's others that's got to go out and speak for that without knowing that I'm there and however I can serve that and however support that. It's not about going there with anger. It's about going there with love, understanding the suffering of those who are seeking a better world and knowing that what's happened right now doesn't allow them the gift of that because the overpopulation allows them to begin to suffer the scarcity of not being planned well and not being able to accommodate or integrate. And then the fear that people have of the actual invasion part of that, are there terrorists coming across our border? Absolutely. I'm there. I'm in the midst of it. This is not media talking. This is me. Okay, and seeing the effects of that 
in knowing the jeopardy that that puts on the uniforms of the people who are responsible for the security of this country and knowing that they're not supported by Washington and the president and knowing how they do have to take law in their own hand to some level in order to be effective to know that they can go home and say that on their job today, they did secure as best they could. So in looking at that over the next few days, we're going to have pretty much a very heavy populated turnout on people supporting that that border has to be closed now. And that what's fair to the people coming across that border seeking a better life, not talking about the terrorists, their motives are obviously very, very real. I'm talking about those who dream of having food on the table every day and a place to safe to be. Our systems are overloaded. Our states are crying out and asking to please stop the influx. We have over 10 million people who have crossed that border into a country not prepared at all to absorb it, welcome them, and provide. That has to stop. And that's what I go and that's what I stand for. That's where I will put my energy over the next two or three days. And I ask all of you, my co-hosts and our listeners, send prayer, but take serious what I just said. What you see is what's real. What you make of it is real. Let this be in the name of the greater opportunities of humanity. Love and compassion and allow that which would come to harm or to hurt, that would be of, of the rudeness I see that comes with terrorists actually feeling to harm, to kill as a solution to whatever it is they feel the world should be. Let us say that the light of those photons that we've just talked about and that the particular wave that we can create with the sense of resolve Resolving that is capable of what we are and that we can do that and know that we truly have lived to what we are as humanity. So in closing with that this week, I actually call upon you to please put your efforts to actually supporting that everything be resolved in a very clear way and that those who are actually suffering from the overpopulation of this be given fair entrance and assistance in whatever way they can. And how you can do that is definitely look to somebody to your left, your right, behind or in front of you, and smile and wish them happiness. That's what we can do. Love you all very much. Look forward to you the next week. And please get the book, read it, apply it. Be all that you can be forever and ever. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.